Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. up on this episode of white line question time i remember i was on my motorbike and i had this helmet on this full face helmet on, and i literally just screamed all the way home thinking of this is it this is what i've been looking for all my life because it felt like that's what's wrong with me i'm a comedian in fact jane asked me out she she rang me um, did she? Yeah, she did. So she says, oh, yeah, it's Jane. I was wondering if you'd like to have lunch one day. I've never been forgiven for this, but I said, look, I'm, I'm just so tied up at the moment. I'd literally just started my comedy career. Anyway, she, before I could finish, she, she said, I'll go F yourself and slam the phone down. It's about locating that thing in you that you find funny and then sharing it with the audience. And I find miserable people, there is something funny about them. Welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest today is possibly the funniest miserable man in British comedy, whose dry, sardonic wit has been making us laugh for almost 40 years now, be it as a stand-up, an actor, or a radio, television, and now podcast host. Raised in Winchester, he was the youngest of three, born to a creative family of actors and musicians. So it was no surprise when, at the age of 16, he set his sights on becoming an actor after shining in a school production of The Taming of the Shrew. But his mother talked him out of it. The daughter of two actors, she feared he'd end up living a famine or feast existence and encouraged him to instead think of a job that was steady 
that offered a regular and reliable income. So when he was 18, he began working as a waiter at a restaurant in London, going on to manage restaurants in the West End, where he would eventually meet his wife, Jane, with whom he has four grown-up children. But not feeling like a career in hospitality was necessarily his calling. At one point, he even contemplated venturing into the priesthood before ending up in the queue for the comedy store's 2am open mic night on a random evening after work in the mid-80s, where even with no preparation, he absolutely smashed it and realised that comedy may just be his forte. He was soon off and running and started playing iconic venues like the London Palladium, the Hammersmith Apollo and um, Perth Prison. His big break came in 1992 when he landed his own self-titled show on Channel 4 and he went on to write and appear in the critically acclaimed sitcom Lead Balloon. In 2001, he found himself in the first ever series of Celebrity Big Brother in aid of comic relief after being, well, frankly, browbeaten into appearing by Richard Curtis over dinner. He went on to win the show. And in 2004, he created Live at the Apollo through his hugely successful production company, Open Mic, giving a stage and television exposure to a whole new generation of up-and-coming comedians. For the last 15 years, he's been on Radio 4's I Haven't Got a Clue. And now, at the age of 62, he's entered the world of podcasting with Oh My Dog, a podcast he presents with comedian Sean Walsh, which features celebrities talking about their dogs in the same sort of style that Josh Widdicombe and Rob Beckett riff about their kids. So let's dive him up and hear more shall we it's the one and only jack d jack how are you i'm very well kate and you but it's just very nice to see you not yes. um clambering up the uh, my loft ladder so i think that, the last time i saw you yeah. you were filming a pilot at my house i was rifling it's, through my loft i'm glad you explained why i was going why i was in your loft at that point um <laughs> it was it was a feature yeah. in a tv program that i wanted to i just wanted to go to famous people's houses and see what they've got stored in their loft and um i i sort of think that we probably came up with an i think cash in the attic ripped me off somehow and, and <laughs> Took the idea and ran with it, and came up with uh, came up with that. Uh, sort of, I should sue them at some point, but yeah, that was good you fun. Should. Yeah, it was good fun. You had lots of old outfits and stuff up there, didn't you? I had lots of old outfits. I can't mm. remember what else I had up there. Probably, you know, because I think by the time you um, were filming that. It's like three houses ago. That's how I know it's oh, a long time right, ago. Okay. Because yeah, I mean, yeah. we're going back. Pre X Factor could have been for me. Yeah. Like oh, pre, yes, yes, so yes, I pre, yes. I, I, I can uh, let me let me think. We are going yeah. back to early noughties. Okay, yes. over twenty years ago, long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. my dad had, um, as only a devoted parent could, recorded everything I've ever done on television on VHS oh, and then dumped it. it in my loft. <laughs> You got and they're still there, there, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't even have a VHS player. No, who does? You know, but it's there. It's there for you know one day when they make when they make the docu series about you and uh, <laughs> and what um you know and 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 they'll have this weird sort of episode where we were up in the loft together. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so you're no longer rifling through uh, people off the telly's lofts. Uh, you have now made the bold move into podcasting, Jack. I have, yeah, I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, my dog. Which is I like... It's almost, yeah. It's like I parenting was, hell for canines. Uh, I think I think you've probably hit hit the uh, hit the nail on the head there because uh, it was... Well, I do it with Sean Walsh and uh, it, was, it was actually his idea. I'm not 
I'm crediting him, not blaming him. It was um, it was his idea, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I had I, I was almost I was almost sort of proud of the fact that I you know hitherto avoided starting a podcast, um, and but then Sean said, "Do you fancy doing this?" Because we just you know he he just got a dog. He knew I had a dog, and uh, and so we've had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, I've just I've just come from recording an episode with uh, uh, Karen Woodward from Banana Rama. And uh, talking about her <laughs> whippet, <laughs> Winnie. Uh, it's amazing what you hear about what you what you learn about people through that dynamic. Have you got a dog, by the way? I, do you know what? I don't because I'm mm. not home enough to properly right. care for one. But I would yeah. properly love one. And yeah. um, I I spend hours of my life that I will never regain looking at dogs on Instagram. It's. Uh, it, oh, I'm glad you said that. Um, it's 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 kind of um, a thing that. Once you once you've once you've gone there and got yourself a dog, you, there's no going back. It's a, it is a life changer. But you are you are also right to be cautious about about doing it responsibly because it's you know it's a it's. A, oh God! Diff- I would love love to have a dog. Yeah. But I'm a, like I'm a single parent. That I've, so I've got some experience of being left holding the baby. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Um, and you know my son does that. Mum, I'll walk him every day. It's like you won't. You can't even bring. You know your your plates down from your bedroom this is never going to happen there has to be a reality wrapped around yeah. this um but i and i think now as well as as you know i, I mean i'd be interested to see when you got dolly you've got a long-haired chihuahua yeah, that's um, right. but was it as your kids started to get less cuddly well that's an interesting that's an interesting uh question i think that uh because we, we have had dogs all the way through and oh, have you? Uh, yeah we have and we were we sort of able to make it work one way or another uh but certainly dolly now is very much the spoilt kind of uh replacement child you know in our lives <laughs> it's slightly pathetic but it's just you know whatever floats your boat really isn't it um and, and we, we don't worry we... i'm i'm literally moments away from becoming yeah. that pathetic it well. will happen it's only a matter of time i mean this morning as i was doing the school run i slowed the car down to admire Two tiny dogs in their jackets. Oh yes, of course, in the cold weather. I mean, I've I've never been that woman. Mm, I know, I know. Well, I I actually think probably I'm because my kids are grown up now, and I'm slightly sort of broody for grandchildren, and we haven't got those yet. So I think that Dolly is filling that gap, and uh, <laughs> it's just it's 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 hopeless, really. We should. I think I really admire dog owners who kind of leave their dog to sleep, you know, under the kitchen table and don't sort of talk to them the rest of because life would be a lot easier but we complicate our lives enormously all around dolly and it's um and i think uh, and sean does as well <laughs> around his dog so we're sean does of, with mildred mm. i was quite i was quite taken aback by hearing how soppy you are about your mm. dog and mm. how earnest you are when you ask guest questions like do you kiss your dog on the mouth there's, there's no irony in that question you're genuinely interested <laughs> totally interested and i think that's one thing that dogs do uh let some of us have who perhaps don't always um uh don't always give voice to that that side of their themselves uh they allow themselves a, 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 a um a sentimentality that they don't for the rest of their lives and that's quite an interesting <laughs> dynamic isn't it that we do it that. really is yeah yeah it feels like it really um, is and like i listened to your episode yesterday with romesh ranga nathan and again he's just as devoted yeah. and in love with he's got two dogs 
Yes. Two yes. dogs. Busy and, life. Uh, they do, and uh, there there are just so many people, and uh, we haven't we're yet to really. Uh, interview anyone on that who doesn't show that side of themselves when they're talking about their dogs. So it's 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 yeah. it's a great thing. Um, although I'll balance that because you know, I mean, Hitler was famously very nice to his dogs. So you can't. <laughs> it, I don't think it's actually a, a gauge of anyone's personality as such. But it's it's an interesting it is an interesting trait. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for balancing that, Jack. Yeah, yeah. In the interest of balance, um, as well as podcasting, you're also heading out on tour this year kind of like the same sort of you know it's like the stones for comedy you're going out with um, the the lineup from I'm sorry I haven't a clue and I'm really intrigued to know what that looks like life on the road with those guys yeah well it's it changes all the time because we the 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 lineup has changed because uh, sadly uh the uh, the older ones have have left us, you know, Tim Brooke Taylor mm. and, and Barry Cryer, of course. Um, of course. Uh, Graham happily is still with us, and uh, he, he doesn't join us on tour, but he's very much involved in uh, in 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 contributing to the show. Uh, so, but it, you know, it, because I do stand up a lot of the time. When I do, sorry, having a clue, which if any listeners aren't familiar, is a, a BBC Radio Four show comedy show that I do um, it gives me the chance to you know be in the company of other comedians rather than just you know traipsing around the country on my own which has its own rewards <laughs> but it's yeah, I, you know it is really nice to be in the company of other comedians because we don't do that you get to a certain level in comedy and then you're doing gigs on your own and mm. you know it, it's quite an isolating uh, it's quite an isolating factor in, in your career that when that starts to happen um, so I, I, I really I really quite enjoy being in a troupe as it were it feels like being old school yeah. kind of um, music hall or something uh, just travelling yeah. around with this silly show that people seem to enjoy well it's like being back in the writer's room isn't it and you've had experience of that as well because you you did Lead Balloon you've mm. done a couple of, of of shows where you've headed up the writing team as well as being on screen mm. Mm. I I mean I, I think I apart from actually performing live stand-up uh, I, I love I love being in a room with, with a load of writers coming up with gags and, and just just it's it's the most fun you can have and you feel you're so privileged that mm. your job is to be in a room of people and make each other laugh and you know and, and then from that you, you make notes and come up with stuff that you're going to put onto the show I absolutely love that and sometimes I do it at home and uh, and you know Jane is my wife Jane as you say it's just you've got this office and all you can hear is laughter coming out of it and then and then and I come out and saying I've been working but you know it is it is work <laughs> and we're we are very we're very uniquely blessed to be able to do that and just to be to have fun doing what we do is 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 a great thing um a little known fact outside of our industry about you Jack is um the the way you kind of paid that forward. Um, and to, was it 2004 you came up with Live at the Apollo? Yeah. Where since then, since it, since its inception, you have provided a stage, kind of nursery slope for a whole generation of new comedians that wouldn't have otherwise been able to show their wares on stage. Um, I know. I and then go apologize. off and tour and make money. And, you know, that's, that's a really... That's a really nice position to find yourself in to be able to kind of bestow that 
that stage um, to others well i think that in a way it it took off in a way that i hadn't imagined but the intention of the show had always been back then um uh, that i that i pitched was was to come up with a show that i was in a position at that time where i knew i'd be able to get a commission uh on on television Mm -hmm. and make a show that i wanted to make and I thought that there are a lot of comedians who are really, really good out there, but that won't necessarily get their own TV show. And it was just the perfect timing because there were so many of those people around just, just before they broke. And they, uh, and so the, 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 the show got commissioned straight away. And so it meant that we were, you know, people like Jimmy Carr and Frankie Boyle and, uh, I mean, the, 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 the too many to actually mention who... who I mean, who, Kerry who... Godleyman. I remember Kerry getting... Because um, Kerry and I have, uh, are like mm. mum friends, you know? Yes, uh, okay. we, we both mm. live near each other. And I remember her being so excited mm. when she first got the Apollo. Yeah. Uh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a rung on her career ladder. And Sarah Millican the same, you know? Lovely, yeah. And it, and it remains that, you know, it, it's always been um, a kind of mile, a milestone in, in a stand-up comedian's ca- career. To get onto mm-hmm. Live at the Apollo is a great thing on your CV. And I'm very pleased that that, that, that has happened um, because, you know, there are so, especially at that point, there were so many people who, uh, the, 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 the number of comedians coming through television just couldn't have coped otherwise with uh, and and given them any stage time so yeah it's been it's been it's been a great success in that respect it's been great so i can't really think of anywhere else where people can go and do i mean what is it eight minutes Mm. i think there's a yeah it's it's usually a a 10 or 15 minute set that they do and it maybe gets cut down but uh there's less and less of it it's where um, where else would you go and the other one that you do is um through open mic uh, which uh, is is the last leg? I mean, you continue. last leg is made by that same company, and uh, yeah. uh, obviously, I'm not involved in that one. But it's uh, again, that's had a long, a long uh, line of success. That was um, that really was created by Addison Creswell, who was uh, uh, my manager and the guy who started uh, that that agency off the curb, and and uh, their idea was for. I can't remember which particular which particular uh, Paralympics it was for, but they decided to do a a, a show for that and uh, uh, and get the right people on. Adam Hills uh, is obviously uh, hosts that very brilliantly. And yeah, he explained how it all came to be when he came mm. on on this show, mm. um, and it's a lovely story. And it's interesting in the world of comedy, so many stories lead back to Addison. And I would love for you guys to one day make a show that celebrated Addison, because to know him was to know him. <laughs> he was quite the character. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. He, he was. Uh, you know, real in many ways, an old style, old school kind of impresario. <laughs> you know, and and at the time uh, when I came into comedy, he was like. Uh, he was like a kind of kingmaker. He could, you know, if he if if he took you on, then you knew it was going to go. It was going to go somewhere because the 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 comedy industry that we know now in this country was was really in its infancy, and he was absolutely at the forefront of it of of finding and bringing through 
people who were uh, you know just getting started so it was, it was people like uh, myself and uh, you know he, he looked after Jonathan Ross for a long long time uh, Lee Evans and Joe Brand he, he, he kind of guided through as well uh, in her life work and uh, but also I think you know people like Addison such a big character so bombastic in so many mm. ways and so fantastic in so many ways but most likely would be cancelled or at least spend most of his time in HR now <laughs> <laughs> he might well do you know it's uh, I, I, I suppose I suppose most of us would really yeah most of us would he was quite maverick I mean there was a brilliant gig that he booked you Rob Newman and Sean Hughes for was, was it Addison that booked you to play Perth Prison Yes, it was. It was. And it was, um, oh, it was, uh, I don't know why he thought that that was a good thing to do. I think he, he must have thought, you know, it was my Johnny Cash moment or something. And it was, it was during uh, Edinburgh Festival. And, uh, and he said, oh, I've got a gig for you. And I said, what, what is it? And, and uh, he said, you're going to love it. Don't worry about that. So he's gonna, that's how he spoke, by the way. And he, uh, he, and he says, don't worry about that. You're going to love it. And we went and did this. Hor- I think Mark Thomas was there as well. Um, and uh, I might be imagining, remembering, yes, I think I'm remembering it right. Well, we went with a Canadian agent who was um, from the Just the Laughs Festival, and he came along as well. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done, I've done quite a lot of uh, prisons in the U.S. He said to me, yeah, it's no big deal. I've been to a lot of prisons in the U.S. And then uh, he said, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. We go into the gates through the gates and we all get searched and everything like that and he just suddenly goes really quiet this Canadian agent um, and uh, after about 20 minutes but we got taken through to the chapel where the gig was going to be he Bruce his name was came up to me says Jack just um, have I got this right none of the wardens have guns <laughs> I said, I think you'll find that is right. And after he he was he just went pale because you thought you know we're about to let in like two hundred prisoners and do this gig, which was a nightmare anyway. Um, and uh, and and, and he, I think he was worried for his life at that point. Well, not without reason because most of the audience were what you defi- you you described as re murderers. This is what so the uh, people yeah, that had murdered time and time, come yeah. in done time for murdering. Yeah. somebody or pe- <laughs> many people then yeah. re-offended once they'd been released so yes. you know the, a voracious appetite for murder pretty much I mean I did <laughs> that, that, that's how it was explained to me I said to the warden I said um, you know of, um, what, what are most of these people in for and he said they're, they said, they're re-murderers right and I said well, what's, a, what's a re-murderer you know um, <laughs> And he says in his accent, which I'll attempt, but I won't do. He goes, uh, there are people who've murdered, they've done life and they've got out and they've murdered again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, yeah, they're basically, yeah, career murderers, you know. But, you know every Committed. 30 years they murder someone. That's basically when they get out of prison, they just murder again. So <laughs> that, that was the audience. Um, and it was a pretty tough gig. It was a tough gig. My, I remember my opening line, on the thing was uh, I said uh, I was on the bus the other day and someone at the back shouts lucky you (laughs) (laughs) I thought oh yeah okay I've um, I've overlooked that haven't I (laughs) now Jack for the purposes of this podcast I've tried to um, come up with three what I hope are thought-provoking questions that kind of give us an opportunity to dive into who you are and I wanted to start uh, my first question uh, talking about what I think is a very pivotal sliding door moments in your life so are you ready to jump in yes 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 
It's the mid 80s. It's 2 a.m. You're in a queue outside the comedy store. And that was kind of a night that went on to change and reroute your life away from a life in hospitality to potentially becoming yeah. one of the kings of comedy. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that night and some of the other moments um, along the way that have that have been a sliding doors moment? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that was the, the moment when uh, it was... 1986 I I had basically I had come to London um, I was working in restaurants but the original idea had been to become an actor mm. but I was I was not very proactive in that in that world at all and I just kind of I just kind of sidelined it completely and I thought I wouldn't bother and I was working in a restaurant in Covent Garden and um, I had Lots of friends, that all the people who were, I was working with, they were either in a band or they were at RADA up the road um, or they were actors and out of work. And, and they were always saying to me, Jack, what do you do? And I said, well, I do this. I'd kind of completely forgotten all my ambition. And they said, but surely you do. You're, you're on stage, aren't you? An actor or something? And I said, no, I'm not. But it kind of relit the pilot light and I needed that to happen. Um, and I then started to kind of think, yeah, actually, this is this was what you wanted to do. Remember when you were eighteen, and now you've you've forgotten about it and put it to the. And I was with a girlfriend, and she spit up with me. And uh, in fact, she was an actor as well. She went up to Edinburgh Festival, and um, and spit up with me on the phone. I can remember, you know, that back back then you'd be on in in a payphone oh, in a booth. And she goes, yeah, she was, she, and she's, um, she says, I just, uh, I feel I need more space. I think, well, I'm in London, you're in Edinburgh. How much, <laughs> how much space <laughs> are we talking? <laughs> anyway, she split up with me and I was, you know, and my, my view was then I thought, well, you know, obviously uh, do something you, you, you wouldn't have done, you know, just go and do the thing that you, you'd always told yourself you would do and you never got around to doing it. And, th- and it was to take a night off and go down the comedy store. And that's that's really what I did. And I went to the comedy store and... Had you been before, Jack? I hadn't. You know, one thing that... Never? No, because because when you work in, uh, in restaurants, you have no social life, really. You're always working in mm. the evenings. So I'd missed, I'd missed, you know, the Friday Night Live thing on telly. I hadn't seen any of that, really. So I was very naive to it. In a way, that was an advantage because I went... I knew that I knew the comedy store had started... And I wanted to know what it was about. I knew it had been going for five or six years. And I, um, so I went down there and um, I, I started watching the show. And I really just thought, they've, this is something that started, they've started without me. I need to be part of this. This is, this is what I do. You know, this is how I, it was comedians who, the likes of which I'd not seen before. To me, I mean, my, my favourite comedians were people like Les Dawson and Dave Allen, but they weren't relatable in the way these were. These were people who were, were like me. Um, it was Jeremy Hardy and, and Paul Merton and uh, uh, and uh, Mark Steele and and people like this and uh, and I thought I I, I kind of see what what's going on here and um, so it almost felt like you'd come home like a, you'd found yeah, your people. I just literally it was it felt. Anyway, the compare says uh, you know if it's open mic night, so if you want to go on, come and see me in the interval. I didn't even know what that meant, but I, I, I went up and said, what does it mean, open mic? I said, well, you know, you, you go on stage and you have a go at the end of the show. And I put my name down, I, you know, I, w- without any hesitation, really. It was odd. 
that I should have done that. Was that not, something you'd done? No, is, is, I've never done anything. Was that character? Are you, were you prone to that kind of... I was a bit, you know? I was kind of capricious like that. I would try things and uh, without any warning, even to myself. <laughs> you know? um, and I, so I, I put my name down and then kind of sort of sat there for the second half thinking, what, what have I done? What am I going to do when I get up there? And uh, a couple of other open spots started and got, you know, had a pretty rough time of it. And then I got on and I, I kind of somehow got a laugh out of the audience. I got a response and, you know, it lasted two or three minutes and I completely ran out of things to say or do. But anyway, I was lucky because uh, when I came off stage, uh, uh, they'd said to me, well, how long have you been doing this? And I kind of, I gave an honest answer. I said, well, not very long, actually. <laughs> like, like four minutes, actually. Um, <laughs> But they said, uh, it was Don Ward, you know, who who started the comedy store. He said, well, he said, if you want to come back next Friday and, you know, I'll, I'll put you on again. And that was, I just couldn't believe it. I almost fell over. He says, um, so I just, that was, that was the big, I, the sliding door moment of my life in a way, apart from meeting yeah. Jane, which is another one. But, um, uh, and I just went home. I remember I was on my motorbike and I had this helmet on, this full face helmet on, and I literally just screamed all the way home thinking of, this is it, this is what I've been looking for all my life because it felt like, that's what's wrong with me, I'm a comedian. I knew I knew there was something missing, you know, uh, that I wasn't getting right, I wasn't addressing, and I'd looked at everything. I'd looked at everything in my life and really, really sort of tr- tried so many different things, uh, and I knew that this was it. So it was, it was a, a terrific moment. Euphoric, I would imagine. You finally found your Euphoric, calling. Euphoric, exactly. And of course, then you know, I'd go back and because I'd overthought it, and I had, a, I got, I bombed. But they were very good to me, and they said, "No, no, come back, have another go." They saw something that I couldn't see, and that was nice, you know. And um, and I, long story short, I sort of started to figure out how to how to be on stage and and how to how to tap into into the, your own sense of comedy and bring that to the audience. Which is what you, you know, what he did for you, Don. Mm. You kind of went on to do many years later with setting up the Apollo. Yeah, I felt it's, 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 it, feel, it feels like a nice thing to be able to share it out. You know, you got a lucky break and, yeah. and you get the opportunity. Um, uh, it, it, it wasn't entirely altruistic in that respect. I was a fan of comedy, you know, and I wanted, Mm. I I was very, I was as keen as anyone else to share that out. Just as if you see someone really funny on telly or on, 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 on YouTube or something, you'll tell your friends, Oh, you must watch this kid, you know, really, you know, she's so funny or whatever it is. Um, and, and, and so we want to share that. And I, I, I was doing the same on a, on a, on another scale, I suppose. What a night. It's amazing how much detail you um, can remember from it as well, Jack. It really has stayed oh, with you, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. It, 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 and I can even remember back then everyone was smoking indoors and, you know, the smell of this, the thickness of the smoke in that mm. set, that room, it's a basement room and the smell of spilt beer and all of those things. And uh, it was uh, it, it, very, very atmospheric and, like something I can, I'll always, I'll always be reminded of if I, if, when I smell that, you know, I can, yeah. it takes me right back. It's weird. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm. You mentioned the, the other sliding doors 
big moment for you was meeting Jane. Jane is your wife. Yeah. Wife of how many years now? Well, we married in, in 1989. And uh, Blimey. we have a funny thing that we don't celebrate <laughs> anniversaries. We, In fact, we always, uh, we kind of overlook the anniversaries. And it's it's a weird thing because I think we both at some point said, yeah, we didn't want, didn't want it to be, feel like we were kind of notching up the years or something. And so, yeah. oh, yeah. Uh, and it's it's not entirely clever to, to not to not celebrate anniversaries. But for us, it's worked that we don't really do that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but we met in, in 86 as well. And I just, I happened to be working in a restaurant then Um in, in, so that uh, year was seminal for you. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It was the year you rerouted your professional life and your personal life. It, it sort of things came together. Um, the girlfriend had ditched me, but I, I, I and and I was working in a, a restaurant in um, Hollywood Road in uh, in in Fulham, Chelsea, sort of borders. And her, Jane's sister worked there, and Jane worked in a hotel up the road, and she used to come in and. And meet her sister after work and sit at the bar and I was sitting behind the bar and I would uh, you know make her a cappuccino and uh, and chat to her as she and so that's how that happened that's how we uh, we met and uh, it was I was just a kind of just when things come together in a way that you're not expecting or or waiting for yeah because as a younger man I can't imagine that you were I don't know, Mr. Smooth, open with the chat-up lines and stuff. I would imagine that that the opportunity to gently get to know somebody was probably far more preferable to you. Yeah, I I didn't pursue women. You know, I I I I was lucky to have lots of really nice girlfriends, um, and uh, but I wasn't what well, I wasn't I wasn't wanting to go up to go up and chat to someone in a pub and you know, hey, what's your name? You know, I. I <laughs> I, I couldn't do that, I don't think. And um, and so, in fact, Jane asked me out. She, she rang me. Um, did she? Yeah, she did. And uh, she rang me. I was working at, behind the bar at this place and I had a couple of phone calls and then the, and the, and then the phone got put down. And then I and then finally she says, oh, uh, oh, oh, is that Jack? You know, kind of like surprised that it would be. She knew it would be me. So she says, oh, yeah, it's Jane. I was wondering if you'd like to have lunch one day. Um and uh, th- I've never been forgiven for this, but I said, look, I'm, I'm just so tied up at the moment. I'd literally just started my comedy career. And I, you know, the, the look of shock on your face, Kate, Kate you're not going to want to talk to me again. And I, uh, you know, uh, all women hate this story. And I, and I said, <laughs> because it must have taken so much courage, so much especially courage. back in the 80s I know, when, a, you know, know, she would have been quite, I'm, I'm um, a dick. That's quite a, bold. Ter- oh, so bold. So anyway, so I said, I'm so, but anyway, she, before I could finish, she, she said, I'll go F yourself and slam the phone down. Did right? she? Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I, th- then I thought about it. And I thought, actually, I quite like the sound of her, you know. <laughs> because she told you to go and fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then I rang her back and. <laughs> Yeah, so I got it. I got it. Yeah, well, it wasn't very nice of you to say, you know. <laughs> I get it. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm an ass, you know. I, I just didn't. I was, it was rude of me, and I'm sorry. Can I take you out for lunch? And so, she said, "Well, all right then." And uh, and so that's how that happened. And we went out for lunch, and um, 
you know, it was it was it was it was a proper old fashioned love affair because um, I moved in with her quite soon after that, and she lived in uh, a flat in Redcliffe Gardens. And we used to spend the evenings, didn't have any money, but we used to spend the evenings when I wasn't working, um, just walking down by the river along the houseboats there and on the, on the, in Chelsea. Yeah, because that's a beautiful part of town, by the way, for anybody oh, that doesn't know is. London. It's, yeah. And looking back, it's like being in a Woody Allen film or something, you know, it's, it's... Uh, or a Richard Curtis one where you think, how the hell, like, you know, or yeah. Home Alone, how do they f- yeah. afford that house? Know, it's like you were in a prime... It was uh, beautiful. Location in terms of the address. And so we just yeah. sort of walk along looking at those and loving that. And, uh, and you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a lovely time. Yeah, we were very lucky to have had that experience and found each other like that. And I was lucky she gave me a second chance. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> like that she told you to go and fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's <laughs> great. I mean, yeah. as opening gambits go, it's yeah, right up yeah, there, Jack. Yeah, and it's happened quite a few <laughs> times since, I might add. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Are you ready for your next question? Yeah. Back in 2016, an assistant professor of psychology at Princeton published a CV of his failures on Twitter, which is right. now obviously called X for no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it went viral because it was so inspirational. So I wondered if you were to make um, a list of your own failures to inspire others, what mm. would you include and, and what did they teach you? Oh, yeah. So I think... Uh... I mean, there, there, uh, there are failures. Um, I, I suppose, I suppose, you know, it, it's um, it, this. This kind of nudges us towards being proud of our failures, but it's yeah, which I think we should be. I, I mean, like your failure to say yes to Jane could be seen was, as yeah. you know one of them. Thank you, thank you for bringing that back up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, the biggest, my biggest failure really was to, to not engage with 
school work and school and I just didn't get it you know I wasted so many opportunities uh, in my education um, and uh, yeah and, it, and I as a result because I didn't get it I just never understood why I was at school I never understood what was meant to be happening um, I didn't ever have a sense that I was p learning anything and and this wasn't the school's fault it was my fault I, it was something wrong with me that I couldn't quite I just couldn't relate to what was happening around me I didn't understand any of it or the point of it and I I, I think looking back I was I think I was quite a slow student I didn't get you know get what I was meant to be doing uh, and so that this meant that I ended up with almost no qualifications and, you know, was unable to, you know, proceed to university or anything like that. And and that meant that I've never stopped uh, trying to make up for that, to compensate. I think I engaged my brain when I was about in my early 20s and suddenly I woke up yeah. and thought, what have I done? I've wasted so much time just being an ass and messing around in school and making people you know thinking it's funny to mess around in class uh, 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 uh and i now need to i now need to kind of um make up for some of that lost time and and um, as a result of not going to university in a sense you you end up with a bit of a inferiority complex mm. thinking oh, i never did a degree um and so that it that sort of um that that drove um, a desire in me to read a lot and find out as much as I could, and so I'm I I, I read a lot now uh, all the time because I'm always trying to make up for what I didn't do at school. And that's really interesting. So you're kind of self-taught. I I am not 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 through um, any sense of deprivation. I had the opportunities, but I wasted them. Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, and. Uh, and then later regretted that and realised I, I now need to do something about it. But I, I, I sometimes wonder, had I gone to university, whether I would have sat back on it and thought, yeah, I've been to university now, that's fine. So I might, I might have lost my curiosity yeah. rather than found it. I don't know. Um, I think How does it can it, happen that way around. Does it, has it made you feel a bit... Um, you say that you had like, it leaves you with a bit of an inferiority complex to you certainly in some of the circles that you've moved in professionally since it's hard isn't it mm. to um not feel like the most stupid person in the room <laughs> it's it can be you know and it, it um but you know i i, I i've overcome that you know I, it's through i just think through trusting what you've got to what you can bring to the table yeah and 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 through the experience of that working out enough times you start to realize you've you know what you can contribute is valuable and i've i've been you know i've had this extraordinary privilege of being part of of the clue uh, sorry having a clue program for a long time now a very long time yeah. and um and i've looked at that sometimes and i've thought everyone on this show including all the panelists um literally uh were at cambridge and here i am old thicko in the middle <laughs> hosting the show and uh, and being able to connect with them in a way that works for everyone mm. um and so you, you 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 do learn and it's also given me that thing that and i'm not saying that uh, educated people are like this but i think i could have been if i was um but i i've 
I realise that intelligence comes in all kinds of different shapes and mm. forms. How can you say, for instance, that um, someone who is, um, a, 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 you know, a professor of, of, of astro- astrophysics is 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 more intelligent than uh, a cabinet maker or or yeah. someone? Uh, you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, uh, absolutely. They're, they're but, but we do because we rank one higher than the other. And it's not necessarily right or fair. We tend to. We, we tend yeah. to. It's not necessarily fair. And it doesn't do justice to either, either discipline, uh, no. either disciplines. So um, I'm always aware of that. And, I'm, I, and I think I've got, I think I'm quite acutely aware of that type of intellectual snobbery that can happen. Um, and and you, you, you sort of find ways of, um, uh, of working around that. Um, uh, and... And so I think that's that that's kind of one of the things that I've learnt from from failure is that eventually, if you're aware of it, I think this is where that professor was originally getting to was probably aiming at. Um, I think if you're aware of what what you failed at, it you you can turn it into a positive. I think Absolutely, that's the thing. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting because you know the way you've just described yourself there uh, and your your backstory with your education. I would never have gleaned that from the many years I've watched you as, you know, commander stage. You've always struck me as incredibly intelligent, um, really, really, um, really intelligent, like, you know, and super quick and witty. Um, yeah, that that would that would never be yeah. in evidence, Jack. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it just shows. I think it is. It is easy to to, to waste um, uh, opportunities, and um, I, I, I I never say, oh, if I could have my time again, or you know, mm. because uh, you know, I own my story, and I'm part. You know, what's happened has happened, and I, yeah. you know, and it, it's great. But but if I if I would to have my time again, I would um, definitely be uh, a, a kind of aware of a need to take advantage of everything that comes your way. And one of those things would have been school and, yeah. and what and what that has to offer. Were you quite tough on your kids when they were going through? I mean, you've got four grown-ups now. Um, well, but were you... Did that bleed into the way you tried to encourage them to learn? Yeah, but it's a dangerous thing there because you can you you you, you very easily start living vicariously and yeah. start thinking you know do it do it this way you don't know what you're missing out on and you know and then of course my you know then my kids start asking questions well how did you do at school dad and I'm like, oh you don't want to worry about that I, you know. and then I was I was I was I was um, um, given an honorary degree and so the kids came along to that and they were just at the wrong age when they were all starting to do GCSEs and stuff so I had to sort of now you make a, a small kind of address in when a, a, a speech when you do get given this thing and I just had to say look to, to my kids um, they don't normally give degrees out for doing nothing right? <laughs> don't get the wrong message from this this is like you know it's a kind of doesn't happen very often. Yes, the lesson here is piss about at school, um, <laughs> oh, no. go on to create a career, but literally you're paid to make people <laughs> laugh, and this happens. Yeah, 
I know, I know. So it's a terrible example to set, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, and, and as you know, with kids, they're going to do their own thing anyway. And all you can hopefully do is just keep the line of communication open mm. so that they can always come to you and say, look, this is going wrong. That's about the most you can do as a parent. I think it's the best thing you can ever do. Yeah. And that's, here's a weird thing. It was a piece of information. It was a piece of advice that was given to me Here's, you'll never guess who told me this, but I was, I was meant to be interviewing this individual long time ago. And uh, it turned into, because of the kind of person he was, he started interviewing me about my life. And, and he, was a lot, he was a bit older than me. And he said, oh, you have kids. And at the time I had two daughters. And he said, daughter, I got daughters. He said, um, he said, the most important thing is keep the keep the line of communication open with your kids all the time. Doesn't matter what they do, so long as they can come to you and say this is going on, then you then you'll be you'll you'll be an okay parent. And uh, I was quite a sort of new to parenting. Um, that was. Um, are you trying to guess who it was? You told me that. I am. I am. <laughs> Who's going here? It was meatloaf. No. <laughs> it was meatloaf. <laughs> Can you imagine? But anyway, so I've always, and I always remembered him saying that because he was a lovely bloke. And so um, he had this kind of personality where he was just, he didn't want to talk about himself. He was just interested in me for some reason. And he just kind of, yeah, yeah, how's this but going? You can, get, you can yeah. understand that, right? When you're meatloaf yeah. and you spend your entire life talking about yourself, I mean, it's, A, sure. it's really unhealthy. And B, it's yeah. really boring because he's heard all the stories. Yeah. You end up... Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're starting to sort of invent lies about yourself just so you can change the narrative. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you got something new to say that day, and uh, but anyway, that was uh, I've always took, I always took that with me, and that was a, that was a that was a good I love, thing. That I was love a, that. in a way that's another fa- that's my failed interview story. Uh, you know, I, I failed <laughs> as an interviewer, but I this is what I got from it. So there you Parenting go. Parenting advice from Meatloaf. Hurrah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, time for my third and final question, Jack. Who and what never fails to raise a smile from you and why? Gosh, I mean, I think um, I, I, I'm lucky to have lots of friends who do that for me, but uh, because of the, uh, partly because of the world that I'm, I, I work in, I think, um, I honestly, I think it, it would, I'd have to say it would be my dog because uh, my, my dog Dolly, who's, she's this chihuahua, um, a long haired chihuahua. Did and, you choose um, the dog? She, well, she was, um, she was, uh, uh, we, we, we rescued her. She was a bereaved dog. I think oh. um, she wasn't a badly treated dog at all, but she had lost her her owner had died, and I think an elderly lady had died, and um, so she had found herself in this kind of um, halfway house, where you know, hostel as it were, uh, where she'd been for a few months. So she was looking pretty distressed by the time we got her, and, um, oh. not because she wasn't being. There's a halfway you know, house after, for dogs. There is. Can you believe? Oh you know. God. So anyway, Don't tell me that. Jane Jane discovers Dolly on this website and um, uh, about you know for Chihuahuas. We and she just said, "What do you think of this?" And I I, I was just love at first sight. I couldn't. I just thought, "Oh, that that's got to be our dog. We've got to go and get her." And um, so we got her. She's very quiet and very very quiet for, for some time actually and then she just suddenly sprang into life and um 
and just realized that, you know, she was there for keeps and, you know, this was her forever home. And that was enchanting to see her understand that. And in fact, Jane was just sort of messing around in the garden with uh, our daughter, Phoebe. And uh, they were just, I think they were chucking a ball to each other, which is something, you know, you normally do with much younger children. But anyway, they were doing that. And, <laughs> How old is Phoebe at this time? I think pretty 24 or something. So I don't, I, that, that takes some explaining. But anyway, that was what was going on. And it was a hot day, I guess. The sun had got to them. But anyway, um, Dolly just suddenly sprang to life and started joining in and was dancing around and tearing around in circles on the lawn. We'd never seen this before. And she's been like that ever since, in a way. Um, oh. And she's a very intuitive, very... Um, she can always just come and... Uh, find you and and start wagging her tail and grinning at you and it just makes me laugh that she's like that she's like um she's like a spirit of joy in the house it's really yeah. you know like 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 a kind of tinkerbell thing where she's kind of whizzing around the room somehow and you just think how can how can a creature be so happy and so un and so um carefree and it's a great it's a great uh personality to have around you because you realise actually we can all be a bit more like that and it wouldn't do us any harm at all. Be a bit it's, more dolly. Uh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. I think, you so. know, I, I get it as well, Jack, cause, you know, do you remember when your kids were young and you'd go and, I don't know, pick them up from school? They'd be so excited to see you. That's a dog yeah. every day and that never stops totally. no matter how old they get. So, it, totally. It's that, that enchanting innocence and enthusiasm uh, for, for life and for, and for you. And, and, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a great, it's a great thing to have around you. And I'm sure that's why we have such a great relationship with our pets. You know, they give us that. Um, it's unconditional love and it's, uh, it's never ending. And, uh, and there's, uh, yeah, you, you can just look and learn really the, the, the sense of uh, enjoyment of life and gratitude for the smallest of things. And uh, it, yeah. it's so important to remember that. Enjoy a good walk or a good meal and, you know, that's yeah, what they, about. they do actually kind of, you know, teach you to rediscover the really simple things in life, like getting out in fresh air a couple of times a day. They do. To walk they really, them. really do. Um, yeah. Their unending enthusiasm, yeah. which for somebody who's predisposed to misery and pessimism as a professional, mm. um, I mean, that is part of your your, your act. It's, it's quite funny mm. that this kind of effusive yeah. chihuahua has given yeah. you so much joy, Jack. <laughs> Well, it's, it's you know, it, it's in, the older I get, the more I, um, and more I realise that what I what I do on stage is this kind of um, uh, is is a sort of what if version of myself, and it, it and it articulates that part of uh, my, uh, that pessimism within me, which if I gave vent to, that's how I'd end up. But in in, uh, in I couldn't possibly live a life like no. that constantly. Um, it's about locating that thing in you that you find funny and then sharing it with the audience. Um, and I find miserable people, there is something funny about them. And not totally. the cause of their misery necessarily, but there is something funny about misery and disappointment and, uh, and, and those things that makes me uh, want to kind of tap into that. Well, we all have it, right? It, it's reassuring to know that it's not just us that has those bleak thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are funny. They can be really they, they funny. They are. Of course they're funny. And it's it's really healthy to 
to locate that and uh, and to um, and to derive some humour from it because otherwise it will bring you down. If yeah. you know, if you we all we all know people who bring you down. You know, you th- you, you spend an afternoon with them, you're totally drained. And you think <laughs> what was what was going wrong? And, and what it is 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 that they they have a pessimism that you you can't help but 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 key into and then you find you're both going in a downward spiral <laughs> and you end up in this terrible place and and those people that you have to avoid in the end you in the end you you you, you look out the people who are gonna who are gonna bring you upwards and you're gonna do yeah. the same for them it's drains and radiators isn't it, it some people it, will drain you others the, yes yes that's the good expression isn't it yeah yeah, yeah drains yeah, and radiators drains. or mood hoovers <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We love a mood hoover. Um, um, Jack, it's so nice to talk to you, especially away you. from the confines of my old loft. Um, <laughs> it's been really lovely catching up with you. I really enjoy the podcast. You've almost persuaded me to just say, in in the words of your your lovely wife, "Fuck it, I'm going to get a dog." <laughs> I really hope my son never listens to this episode. <laughs> Jack Wax Lyrical about dogs alongside Sean Walsh and their celebrity guests. You can hear Oh My Dog wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, he's going to be out on the road touring with I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue this year and tickets are on sale now. For more chat from other funny folk, we have episodes with Adam Hills, Tom Allen, Rob Brydon, Kerry Godleman, Jenny Eclair, Griff Rhys-Jones, Al Murray, Lee Francis and Ed Gamble and James Acaster all ready and waiting for you in our back catalogue. I'll be back to help you survive the midweek slump with more vintage vignettes from the White Wine Question Time seller on Tuesday. Remember that you can always find us on Instagram. So go follow us at whitewine underscore question time. And also, please hit the follow button on Spotify. Thank you so much for listening. White Wine Question Time is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. 